Well, good morning, first service. Good morning to our online campus. And I am so looking forward. Two, two weeks, I think, we're going to be in the, in the mountains of Alpine celebrating the goodness of God. And a, a lot of men are signed up already. If you haven't signed up, there's an opportunity for you to do so. No pressure. I just think it's going to be a great time. It's going to be life-changing. Also, on October the 10th, we are having baptism, so I want for those of you that have made uh, uh, public uh, confessions of faith recently, if you raise your hand for Jesus, the next step is for you to get baptized uh, by immersion, and we're excited about that. So if you want to get baptized, make sure that you go online, or maybe on your Connect card, you can put down, hey, I want to be baptized on this date, and we can get you all the information, uh, but it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time as we do that as well. Um, so we are in the book of Ephesians, right? And we've been learning how important it is for us to be in Christ, for us to be grounded and rooted in Christ. And before the Apostle Paul uh, goes on to say, this is what I want you to do, he tells the Ephesian believers, this is who you already are. This is who you already are. You are holy ones unto God uh, because you have been called through the blood of Christ. And what we did right now by celebrating communion is we remember what Jesus has done. Notice in communion, it's not remembering what we've done. It's remembering what Christ has done so it can cover all the things that we do that fall short of the glory of God. That's the good news. We should never leave a setting, a church setting, a gathering of, of, of God's people feeling condemned. You should always leave feeling uplifted because God is a restorer, not a destroyer. And he wants to restore our lives. Today we're going to move into chapter 5. We're going to leave chapter 4. We're going to leave that to the end of our, of our uh, series because as we go into Serve Our Cities uh, Sunday on November the 7th, we want to make sure that we look at it from God's perspective. Why do we go out and serve our, our cities? Why do we serve people? Because that's what Jesus did. So we're going to save that, chapter 4, for, for that time. But we're going to talk about relationships today. I want to talk about uh, five pillars in marriage and how do we build strong marriages that thrive. Not just survive, but thrive. How many of you in here have uh, a marriage? How many of you are married, first of all? Raise your hand. Okay. I feel for you. <laughs> but God doesn't. God loves you. I should say this, I feel you, right? And, and all of us want our marriages to be better, amen? At least our spouses want for us to be better. And as we look at God's word, it teaches us how do we have a fulfilled marriage? How do we have a marriage that, that thrives, that's, that's strong, that's able to withstand all the pressures in life, all the things that we face? And so we get to... Ephesians chapter 21, and the Apostle Paul begins to describe marriage from God's perspective. It's a wonderful, wonderful depiction of, of, of how we should operate in this, in this one flesh relationship. Now, marriage is a covenant relationship. It's binding because God, it, it's so special. It's, 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 it's like the relationship that man and women have with Jesus He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And he puts that parallel right there. So marriage is that important to God. The, 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 um, when marriages are healthy, societies are healthy. Amen? When, when marriages are broken, society becomes broken. And, and so God wants for marriages to, to thrive. God wants good things for marriage. So here's what he says, okay, verse 21, chapter 5. And he says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because, of, because you're, you're submitted to Jesus, because he's your Lord, submit to one another. In other words, there's, there's that equal submission. Amen? There's that equal submission that we have for our wives and the wives for their husbands. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands. The, the literal says to your own husbands. Okay? Submit to them. As to the Lord. And really the, the thrust of that is respect your husbands. Because there's one thing that every husband needs. There's one thing that every man needs, and that's respect. Men will fight for respect. They'll fight in the neighborhood. You know, don't disrespect me, dude. Bring it. 
And so in the home, there will always be fights. Hear me. There will always be fights when men, husbands, don't feel respected. And that means you have to, you have to respect them. Not, one of the worst things that we can do as, as in a marriage is to talk to your husband about everything else that your, that your uh, friends, husbands are doing. Well, if you were like Joel, like, if you were like Freddie, if you were like, well, I'm not Freddie. I'm not Joel. You know? And, and so men need respect. For a husband... For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the savior of his body, the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. And so this is God's doing. Men have been given that order. And there's an order in, in, in marriage, in relationships. And it's, it's, it's men being the headship. That's how God did it. That's God's design. Don't blame men for it. That's just how God designed it. And, and, and women submitting to that and respecting that, it makes marriages better. But it doesn't stop there because men have a very big responsibility too. Are you with me? Because there's one thing that women need. What do women need? Someone said money. That's second. They need love. Okay. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And that doesn't mean that you're supposed to be a, a, a doormat where a, where a husband walks all over you. That's exactly what you're not supposed to do. Um, a husband, let's go to verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved, loved the church and gave up his life for her. So husbands, you need to love your wife and sacrifice. Sacrifice everything in your own life so that you make your wife better. She needs to be your everything. She needs to feel the most important of every female that there is. We don't, you know, I love Job uh, uh, Job said, I, I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust at another woman. Why did Job say that? I believe it's Job 31.1 that he said this. Why did he say that? Because you take away from your wife when you lust at other women. And that's a battle that men face. That's, but wives need to feel and know that they are loved. And then verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He's talking about the church and how, how Christ loves the church, the bride of Christ, and how he's cleansed her and made her holy, and, he's, and he cleanses her by the word of truth. So the word of truth guides us in, our, in, in everything that we face, but we never should feel unloved. Are you with me? You, as a child of God, should never feel unloved because Jesus gave his life for you. Man, that's powerful. And, and with that same sacrificial love that Jesus had for his people, that's the same love that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in every husband for their wives. It goes against everything in our flesh. Our flesh is what we do independently of God. Amen? Amen. And independently of God, we want to live our lives our ways. We want to love our wives if she does this and this and this. The same way as wives want to respect their husbands in the flesh if they do this and this and this. God never says that. God says, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. That's your first priority. Amen? And when we do that, it helps us to really grab a hold of God's perspective. He said this in verse 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So the church in the final production, in the final day when Jesus returns, the church will have no blemishes. Why? Because he's cleansed us with his blood. There's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ending Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. So the more that I love Shauna, the more that I, that I sacrifice my life for her, the more that I really love myself. 
the more that it's, it, it's beneficial for me, for me to love my wife, because when I do that, when I'm committed to that, it's good for me. And when it's good for me, it's good for everybody else. But we can't do this in our own power. I'll tell you that right now. I cannot do this in my own power. I absolutely positively need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. He goes on. He goes uh, in verse 29. He says, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So today when you're having lunch and you're nourishing yourself, whether you go to La Casita or you go to the you know, Saddlebrook Ranch Cafe, wherever you go to go have a very good meal, just say, this is exactly why I need to love my wife because I love myself. I'm going to eat this cheeseburger with a lot of love. I'm going to eat this tacos. Mucho amor. Lots of love. Amen. Um, verse 30, and we are members of his body. Okay, so the, the whole thrust right there is, is he's talking about the, the relationship that we have with God, and that goes into our marriage. And it's important to know that God's design for your marriage is perfect. But here's the deal. All of us are imperfect. Amen? Amen. Well, maybe not first service, but second service struggles with imperfections. You guys are looking at me like, you know, Pastor, I don't know if that's me. No, all of us have flaws. I was talking to someone the other day that really struggling in, 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 their, in some of their choices. And I said to him, I said, we're all flawed. We're all flawed. We all need a Savior. We all have tendencies in our life. We all have struggles in our life. And... There are, there are places, now hear me, in marriage, there are places where we're strong and there's places where we're weak. And some of those places are pillars. In other words, they, they, they're, 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 the, they're the things that are going to keep us upstanding in the most difficult of times. They're going to keep us together through the most difficult of times. And so we put together five pillars, five pillars that are essential for your marriage to withstand anything that you go through that will strengthen you in every challenge that you'll face. And I have to believe that I'm talking to someone here in this service or online that there are some struggles in your marriage right now. And I just believe with all my heart that God is going to speak into your marriage and help you. And restore you and strengthen you in the places that you need to be restored. So here, here's pillar number one. Okay. And I was telling Emma, our administrator, before I came in, as I looked at this, this sermon. This is about a five-part series sermon. I'm going to speak to you a, a one message that's really five parts. There's a book in here. Because there's so much importance that can derive from this. The, because the first pillar is this. You need to have a relationship with God before you have a relationship with people. Because you'll never understand relationships and you'll never understand love until you have God in your life. Amen? You'll never understand what true love is, what unconditional love is until you have Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus loved you when you were at your worst, and Jesus loves you when you're at your best, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Amen. He will forgive you no matter what you're going through. So your relationship with God is a pillar and actually a cornerstone of your marriage. Paul starts out chapter 5 by saying this, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. When you know that you're loved by God, God, when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you as some faulty person. He looks at you in Christ. He looks at you as special. And when you know that you're special, you're going to treat other people special. When you know that you're loved, you're going to love other people. I almost fell. Did you see that? But I caught myself. 
It just changes. It changes your whole viewpoint. And then he gets to, to verse 18 of chapter 5. And I love this. He says, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk with wine or alcohol because this will ruin your life. Notice he's not saying do not drink. But he's saying do not get into a drunken state because this will ruin your life. Right? But then he says this. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? How many of us in a drunken state have made unreasonable choices? Last week was a bad week. I'm just kidding. And what you find out that, that what you fill your life with is what you're going to live out. And your relationship, your, your relationship with God or your lack of it will determine every other relationship that you're in. Someone say amen to that. That's good. Your relationship with God or your lack of a relationship with God will determine every other relationship that you're in. And when we are in this relationship with God and when this is our guide... It's how we get to know God, through his word. Amen? We, we begin to understand that when we honor God, he honors us. It's in that relationship. We, we learn that uh, when we pray to God, that he hears our prayers and he moves on our behalf. Sean and I, especially later in our, in our lives and in our marriage, we... Every morning when we wake up, the first thing that we do in, in, our, in our drinking of our cup of coffee and in our, in our discussion, the first thing that we do is we pray. We pray together, and you would not believe how that has changed our life. Yeah. Our outlook on each other, our outlook on, on others, instead of talking about all the situations and all the things that are going on in our, in our family and outside of our family, guess what we do? We pray for those people. We pray for each other. We pray that, that God's love will just move in our hearts. And, and it's amazing because when we do that, we learn humility. What I've le learned about prayer is that when you pray, you have to humble yourself because you are actually admitting that you can't, but God can. Are you with me? When you pray, that's why prayer is so important. When you pray, what you're saying is, I can't, but God can. And so we begin to, to bring it to the Lord. You know, uh, uh, here's what... Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, he said, trust in God, trust also in me. Now think about this. He's telling his disciples this right before they're going to go through the most difficult trial because he's going to the cross, he's going to die, and they're going to be left without him. And he said, now you need to trust me, you need to trust me, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you will be with me also. Now this has to be in, 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 incorporated into our marriages because marriage is all about building trust. Are you with me? In marriage, sometimes you have to believe for the things that are unseen before they ever happen. I have to believe that my wife is an incredible wife before the things, those things even happen, even though she's amazing. She's got to believe the same for me. She's got to believe that, you know what, God's not done with me. He's not done with James. There's more that God can do. There's a potential that God has in me that is a lot greater than what she sees on the day-to-day. -day. And we begin to build that trust in each other. We trust that God is not done with me and he's not done with her. When it says, wives, this means submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. How can you submit to your own husbands if you've never submitted your life to God? Are you with me? When, when, when the Lord says, uh, you know, husbands, uh, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for her. How can you love your wife if you've never received the love of Jesus and, and walk in that love? See, there's a different love that comes from God than our love. Amen? Our love is conditional. God's love is what? Unconditional. He loves us through our failures. He loves us through our difficulties. He loves us through whatever we're going through. You know, the, the, words, the words 
And I've heard this many times because I do a lot of marriage counseling. I, do, I walk people through their most difficult of times. And one of the things that I always say is I'd be a fool to believe that that couldn't happen to me. I'd be a fool to believe that I couldn't have a failure. And I say this all the time to Living Word Chapel. I say this to you all the time because I'm just a man. And the only thing that keeps me upright, the only thing that keeps me strengthened is the grace of God. The only thing that keeps me from being a, a loyal husband is the grace of God. And I've heard this said so many times, I just don't love you anymore. I just don't love her anymore. Or I just don't love him anymore. You'll never hear that from God. You'll never hear God say, I just don't love you anymore. Look at what you've done. Shame on you. <clears throat> Shame on you for what you've done. That, that never comes out of the words of Jesus. That never comes from the Holy Spirit. He loves us no matter what we're going through. And when God is the foundation of your marriage, that's exactly how you live your life. You don't live your life by feelings. I just don't feel that love anymore. Can I tell you, there's a lot of times that Shauna doesn't feel that love for me. I know I live with myself. But she chooses to love me and to stay the course and to, and to move forward and to respect. Same thing with us. Same thing with me. Now, I'm going to go into pillar number two, and I put it at the very top of the list. Don't get all freaked out what we're going to talk about in church because it's so important. Okay? The second pillar that will keep your marriage strong is sexual intimacy. You see, before you have children, you have sexual intimacy. Amen? Did you know that, first service? Raise your hand if you do. Be, the men went like this. Women went like this. Before the stork ever came to your home, there was sheet music in your home. And it's a wonderful design of God. I'm going to say this. This is so important. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God that, that, that God has given to make your marriage better. And every, every young couple, every young couple is anticipating this. They're anticipating for, for this wonderful gift to be exercised in their life because that's how God intended it to be. And so what happens in marriages, a lot of times what happens in marriages is that you get married and that intentionality and that excitement and all the things that you were so, uh, it was so wonderful in your life, you begin to let other things come and drive a wedge in yourself. When you are sexually intimate, you become one with each other. That's why Paul was so strong about it in 1 Corinthians. He says, when you become, when you have sex with a, with a harlot, with a, with a temple prostitute, you become one. And everything that she is, you become. That's how great it is whenever we have intimacy. Now think about it, beloved. Think about it. If it is that important to God, it should be that important to us. And that's why I put it at the top of the list because as we talk about the pillars, every other one of the pillars that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about children. I'm going to talk about your in-laws and your outlaws. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about finances. I'm going to tell you something that every one of those comes and drives a wedge between the intimacy that we should be having as a husband and a wife. And it should be wondrous and, and glamorous. It should be wonderful. Here, here's what, what, what uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs. He said this in Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Who should be a fountain of blessing for you, husbands? Who? That's so weak. You need to go to the men's retreat. Your who? Your wife. Yeah, you start saying this, your wife, you, affairs are coming. My wife is a fountain of blessing to me. She's the most important one to me. Nobody else is like my wife. Nobody else should be like my wife. No one should know me like Shauna does. And no one should know Shauna like I do. Amen? Put your wife into that category. It says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, from the, from the very first time that, that we got married, Shana, I was 20 years old, Shauna was 19. And from that day, let me tell you, I didn't have Jesus, so for six years it was pure hell. But let me tell you, sexual intimacy was at the top of our list. 
We based our relationship in the bedroom, and we found out that the bedroom don't solve all the problems. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. That the bedroom is a gift from God, and when you have God at the center of your marriage, the bedroom's a wonderful place. Amen? The writer of Hebrews said, let, let uh, marriage be held in honor between all men, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers will be judged by God, not because they're having sex, uh, not because they're having sex, but because they're having sex outside of that covenant of marriage. Amen? Amen? And then he goes on and he says this, uh, rejoice in the wife of your, of, her, of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. I, I don't know why Solomon had that imagery. You know, I, I never look at Shauna like she's a coos deer. I never, I never do. And it says, let her breasts satisfy you sometimes. Always. Because your wife's body should be the only body that satisfies you. Are you with me? Now, if you were to incorporate this into your marriage, it's a pillar that will sustain you when the times of temptation comes, when you go to work and, and, and maybe another, uh, another person of the opposite sex comes and gives you more attention than what you're getting at home. And maybe the, the lack of intimacy in your home and that person gives you more attention and before you know it, you have thoughts because the enemy puts thoughts in our minds, we're going to see that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the fiery darts. And let me tell you, the devil, he's applauding you when you're not having intimacy. He's applauding you, not God. The enemy is applauding you. And, and then he goes on and he says, let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Oh, Lord God, that my, my, that my wife and myself, that we will always be captivated in your love that you produced in us. May the bedroom be a wonderful place. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you guys fight about sex or do you celebrate sexual intimacy? The enemy wants to distort it. He wants to make you think that it's not important to God. But it's God's design in marriage. Let me tell you that, that the enemy wants to keep marriages from celebrating sexual intimacy because it makes you one. It's the, it's the greatest expression of unity that you'll have in this world. When you have an affair, you become one with that person, and that's why it's so hard for you to break that affair. When you have intimacy with your wife, you produce children. Let me tell you, that's the greatest expression of what humans can do. There's nothing like it. And there's a battle for each one of us. The battle is that you're not going to be content with your wife or you're not going to be content with your husband. And that battle wages. And we'd be crazy and ignorant not to talk about it. We'd be crazy not to talk about these very important things. The very design of marriage in Genesis goes like this. A man leaves his father and mother. This is the whole, the whole thrust of society. A man, man being who? Male. Leaves his father, father being what? Male, and his mother being female. And he shall cleave to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two become one. And then it goes on and says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no, no shame. That's God's design. And there's a lot to that. There, I mean, I, I could preach three sermons out of that. Because there's more than sex. Intimacy is more than sex. It's an, an emotional connection. It's a mental connection. It's going through the struggles of life together. It's celebrating the victories of life together. And yes, in that whole process, sexual intimacy should, should always be a part of it. When you're going through struggles, let me tell you, sexual intimacy makes things better. Let me say that. I know for that from experience. Babe, I'm, we're just having a hard time. Can we just... I mean, hey, let's just go to the bedroom. We'll make it better. It makes things better. You're having great times. You make things better. You celebrate. You want to go to the bedroom? Don't tell me you guys don't do that. If you don't, you start. It's wonderful. Let me tell you, it's wonderful when your wife says, that was good. 
It's wonderful when your husband says, man, that was great, right? A husband's always one up. Wife say, that was good. Husband, what are you talking about? That was great. God, yeah, you're in church. This is God's word. God designed sexual intimacy to make your marriage better. Enough about that, okay? That's a whole series. Here's pillar number three. Do you notice the unity right there? We're one with, with our wives. We're one with who else? With God in Christ. Amen? And then we're one with who else? The church. God is talking about unity. He's talking about union. Now, here's, here's the other thing, that this will break you apart. Now, I know that first service, you've never struggled with being on disagreements with your children. You've never had that problem, right? Your teenagers, you know, they come up and, and, and they'll tell you one story and they'll tell the, you know, the other spouse the other story. Raising children with unity is one of the most important things that we could ever do. Always think about this. There's a devil in our lives. In the playing field of life, there's a devil. His, 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 the, the original word is diabolos. One who penetrates and separates. And he'll use whatever method that he can use. Amen? He'll use little Johnny. He'll use little Cheryl. He'll use little whatever, whoever it is. He'll use them to separate you. You have got to stay united in your parenting with this as your guide. You don't keep things from your other, from your spouse, protecting your children. You don't keep them. But this is my wife's famous words when they would say, are you going to tell dad? Mom, I'm talking to you about this. Are you going to tell dad? She'd say, nope, you are. And I'll be there. And I'll be prayer support. Now notice what he says. He moves on, progression. Chapter 5 moves into chapter 6. Remember, he's writing a letter. There was no chapter breakups there's just thoughts that are going through. We have put in those chapters, those verses. So he's writing. He's writing about marriage. Now he says, children, children, chapter 6, verse 1, obey your, does it say parent or parents? Okay, the original says your father and your mother. Right? Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It might not seem good to you, but it's Right? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. If children can't obey parents, plural, if you're letting the devil drive a wedge between each other and undermining your parental authority, and this is what happens, this is what happens, is that you undermine the parental authority your marriage is in trouble. If you ever say these words, don't listen to your mom, don't listen to your dad, you're setting your marriage up for failure. If you ever tell your kids, don't listen, that's a you and him conversation. That's a you and her conversation. Let's talk about this. And every, every one of us Every one of us as, as parents, we have the grace of God and the privilege of God to pour the things of God into our kids together. Amen? Together. Now, now, fathers, you have a big responsibility. And let me tell you, that's why the devil plays havoc. You know, why don't we have a bunch of dads running to this men's retreat? Why? Because the devil doesn't want for you to get better. Let me just tell you that right now. I'm going to be real, real honest with you, real forthright. Why, doesn't, why don't men, and, and th this church is pretty strong with men, and we have a lot of people coming to real men. We have a lot of people that are pointing. Why do most women lead the things, the spiritual things in their home? Why? Because men 
God has given you a responsibility to lead your family in the things of God. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us so. He goes on. He doesn't say mothers. He doesn't say mothers. But he says fathers, don't frustrate your children or don't exasperate your children. And then I love the way the message puts it. Don't frustrate your children with no win scenarios. In other words, have you ever had a child say, I just can't win. It doesn't matter what I do. It's, all, it's wrong. If I do this, it's wrong. If I do this, it's wrong. That's why religious people, they can really drive me crazy because they drove Jesus crazy. Religious people have so many rules and regulations. There's no grace. There's no relationship. It's always do, 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 do. And if you do and if you achieve, and if you don't, you could have done better. You could have done better. Fathers. It doesn't say mothers. It says fathers. Do not exasperate. Do not frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the ways of God. Let me say something to you. You guys might not know this, but my children who became teens and now are adult, they've made some boneheaded decisions in their life. Just so you know that. And guess what? When I was a child and a teen and an adult, I've made some boneheaded decisions. God has never, ever, ever, ever left my side. Even when I didn't walk with God, he was there. He had a plan that was going to come and it was going to be played out. And he, he was going to love on me. He was going to help me. And, and, and we need to lead our kids we need to lead our kids, and this is why I wanted every single one of you men to be at the retreat, because you're going to hear some, some men there that I trust to speak into your lives. So, so one, of the, one of the men there is a father that has, that has had such a, by the grace of God, has such a gift in pouring into his kids and them all being successful. And their greatest success is not that they're doctors and lawyers and officers in the military. That's not their success. Their success is not that they're Mexican. Their success is not all these different things. Their success is that they're all grounded in the word of truth. And that's exactly why the devil doesn't want you there. Not you, but the devil. Because men, we have that much that much importance in the raising of our families. It hasn't been given to women. The responsibility has not been given to women. Let me tell you something, women. Let your men lead. Quit making excuses for your men. Quit making decisions for your men. Let them lead. Like when Shauna would tell my kids, when they said, are you going to talk, are you going to tell dad? No, you are. There's sometimes men, your wife has to tell you, hey, you make the decision. You go spend some time with God. You make the decision. Because sometimes women are leading their homes when it should be the men leading their homes. They should be mutual. But let me tell you, men, you have a big part to play. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Fathers do not frustrate your children. There's, no, there's nothing there about wives. There's nothing there about mothers. Another thing, I got I to say this. I got to say this because it's, it's, it's good. The way we lead our kids will either build them up in the things of God or it's going to tear them down in, in our own efforts. If you're trying to lead them in your own strength, you're just going to fall short. Don't live out your dreams to your kids is another thing. I, I see that with, in sports. I see, I see these, these guys coaching and they're, and they're living out the things that they want to do. They live it out to their kids. Their kids, you know what, they, 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 they love football. They love basketball. They love baseball. They don't love it that much. They love hanging out with their friends. They love being loved. I'm telling you, it's a book. I'm really on pillar number four. In-laws and outlaws. 
Which are you? Which are you? I, I put in my notes, oh boy, are we going there. But we have to go there because this is a pillar. This is a pillar in our marriage. Amen? Do your in-laws come to visit? Or do they feel like outlaws when they come to visit? And I, I speak this from my perspective because I'm a, now I'm a father-in-law to my, my, my daughter, my daughter-in-law. I'm a, I'm a father-in-law to my son-in-law. And I believe we have a good relationship. But I have to continually be working on this because that's important. Amen? How, how many of us in, in our marriages have we had tension because of an in-law? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. Let me say this, it's so important. If your relationship with your parents is better than the relationship with your spouse, there's something wrong in your marriage. Amen? Why, why do I say that? Because God says it. Have you ever heard someone say, I've done a lot of counseling, a lot, a lot of coaching, so I've heard this a lot. But have you ever heard someone say, they picked their family over me? They, they picked their family over me. That is an outlaw structure. Amen? Let me, let me tell you, I'm, I'm just talking from... from, from perspective and from from experience my daughter has a has a fight with her with uh with her husband she comes and talks to us emotionally i want to jump in biblically i have to say baby you, you can work it out the same way that my wife and i work things out amen because god is our source if you become the source of everything that your kids are going through, if you become the answer, they don't need Jesus. Are you with me how it builds faith, how it builds trust in each other? You know, one of the, one of the greatest things that Sean and I can say to each other is, do you remember that difficult financial struggle that we went through? Do you remember how we got through it together? Babe, do you remember you, you, they, they shut the mine down and you, and you went from, from a, a life as a, as a miner and a supervisor and making a very good income and coming into ministry? Do you remember the struggles that we had together and how we made it through? Do, do you remember that, 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 that there were times in our, in our marriage? There was times in our marriage. I'm, I'm a Latino. I don't know if you've noticed that. I'm an Hispanic. Now, Latinos are notorious for family bonding. But there came a time in my life, especially when this became, this became my life right here. This became my life. When, when, when Jesus became my life, there was a time that I had to tell my mom, 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 this is a mine and Shauna situation. I love you. Stay out of it. Hey, Dad, you know what? Love you very much. We got this. Hey, bro, brothers, your opinion is whacked. I'll be divorced. There, there are friends, homeboys, right? Have you heard from a homeboy like, uh, dude, you don't need that. Leave her. You don't need that. Leave her, that homeboy. Next week he'll be, you want to go out for dinner? <laughs> Not to me, to her. <laughs> well, that didn't happen in your neighborhood, huh? Just in mine. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's how you keep in-laws, in-laws, and not make outlaws, outlaws. You with me? 
There's more to say about that, but we don't have enough time. That's a pillar in your life. I'm speaking to someone today. You, 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 need to make a, you need to take a stance and either say, this is our marriage, or you need to take a stance and not be that outlaw in your children's marriage. It's quiet. Here's pillar number five. Finances. Now, do you notice that finances, in-laws, children are below intimacy? Why is that? Let's think about the logic. Because children, in-laws, finances will drive a wedge in your intimacy. When you go through financial pressure, when you go through financial difficulty, it will try to drive a wedge in your intimacy with each other. I wonder if there's anyone in, 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 in the hearing of my voice right now that has fought or argued about money in the last month. Money has a way of doing things to us. Or let's put it this way, a lack of money. Right? Not, not, not budgeting, not handling our finances in a healthy way. The way we have healthy finances is for us to be in unity. In unity. United for the, for the common goal. United that, that the love of money can destroy us. Amen? But the use of money, money is immoral. Or I'm sorry, amoral. It's amoral. In other words, it, it, it can go, it, it'll do whatever you tell it to do. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The same $20 bill can go into a church just like it can go into a, into a topless bar. It can go into the care where it goes. It's just going wherever you put it. That's why generosity is a, is a condition of our hearts. What, what you do with your money is a condition of your heart. Where your money goes is, is where your heart is. Amen? Uh, uh, this, is, this is how the, the writer of Ecclesiastes put it. He says, those who love money will never have enough. Now, it, he's just saying, if you love money, you'll never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth will bring true happiness. Money will never buy happiness. Say amen if you agree with that. Money will never buy happiness. I, I, I know some millionaires that are very, very happy, very joyful because they have God first. And I know some millionaires that are very, very, very unhappy because they have God at the very bottom of their list. Money doesn't fix a bad marriage. Money doesn't fix a bad child. In fact, it's worse for you if you try to give your kids stuff to try to fix them. If you give them, if you, if, if your solution for them to be quiet is not to give them something. It's to parent them in the things of God. Let me tell you what fixes marriages. Love. Love and discipline restore wayward children. Because when, when children, I'm speaking from my perspective. When you walk away from the good things of God, it's a very bad place to live. I was there. When, when you're in that, when you're living independently of God, that's a horrible place to be. So when people are praying for you, parents are praying for you, you know, they come to the place of their senses. So, so money, money is not going to be the solution. But the love of God working in and through you, sometimes the love of God comes with truth. Jesus was filled with 100% grace and 100% truth. And sometimes we have to deal with things. Amen? If we have a financial problem, we have to deal with it. And you call someone. At Living Word Chapel, we called Dave Ramsey. We, were, we had credit card debt. We had all these things going on. And, and, and that was a reflection of what was going on in, in personal lives. And we began to fix it as a church body. We began to fix. It's amazing how much peace there is in your home when there's financial stability and financial health. 
Amen? I got to be careful how I say this, but I'm going to say it because you know me. I say things. A stimulus is not going to solve problems. Good management, healthy managing is what's going to solve the problems that we have in our lives. And that includes our country, but it includes especially our homes. Amen? We don't have to depend on charity when we serve God. We can let the Lord lead us to become people of integrity and become healthy in every part of our lives. I'm done. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. Lord, as we've talked about the five pillars of marriage and how you desire for our marriages to be healthy and to thrive, every one of these pillars are important to you. And so I pray in the name of Jesus for you to work in and through every person here. Strengthen marriages today. Do this for me, everybody in here. If you're married, go ahead and hold hands, please. If you're married, hold hands. Father, bless this marriage. Bless this relationship that you've established. Let them walk in your strength and in your grace and in your love. Let these years become better and better and better and better and better and better. Lord, where there's been maybe tension with in-laws, I pray, Lord, I pray for some reconciliation and restoration to take place. You can do it, Lord. You can do the things that are impossible for us. But, Lord, I just pray that these homes that you have established, that they will be strengthened by your love and that nothing, no devil in hell will be able to break it apart. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone said amen and amen. God bless you. Let's worship the king as we, before we leave.